Good morning. What we just heard is a, an incredible vision that God gave to Daniel in uh, 600 years before Christ. And I want to jump ahead to 400 years after Christ. So 1,000 years, uh, the Visigoths have sacked Rome. It was a great devastating defeat. Uh, Christianity has become more intricate in the life of Rome uh, and many of the pagans began accusing Christianity as what's at fault. The, 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 the uh, Christian, Christians are at fault for why the city fell. Well, that sacking of Rome, which was a devastating loss, uh, greatly uh, one of these great fears of all people, it, it led to one of the most important works ever written. Uh, it led to Augustine writing the city of God. Uh, an incredible political theology, uh, theology of history, theology of suffering, uh, it, it began as an apology, an answer as to why this happened. And it, 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 it cannot be because the pagan gods weren't defending Rome. It can't be because Christianity was at fault. But it, his thesis developed, there's a city of man which is focused and concerned about temporary things and the city of God, which is focused on the eternal things. And behind this was a, a significant theology for what we're really seeing played out here that there's always been a, a war going on between Satan and God. There's always been enmity in this world, kingdoms clashing, and there is one great victor, one great kingdom that will last forever, and that is Christ Jesus, the King of kings who will reign over the eternal city. This morning, we're, we're getting one of these glimpses in the Old Testament. Something I think Paul is, it has in mind in Ephesians 3 when he says we have the mysteries revealed. The, 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 the small but amazing glimpse like we saw in 2 Samuel 7 when God tells David a son will reign forever who's a, of your line or Psalm 110. One of these just small glimpses into the character, triune nature, glory and goodness of God. And so we're going to walk through this text, and we're going to see it really captures a, a number of themes throughout Scripture. We're not going to be able to turn over every stone. You have lots of questions about this text. Sorry to disappoint you. There's also so many connections that we can make from other Scriptures to this text. This morning I want to make sure we see the main focus. And, and the text is developing a primary theme we keep seeing in Daniel. God most high rules forever. God most high rules over the kingdoms of men. God most high is establishing a kingdom that will be forever. That, that has been a constant theme. This chapter ends kind of the, well, not the kind of, the Aramaic section, chapters 2 to 7. It, it parallels chapter 2 in the statue, the different uh, parts of the statue and the, 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 the stone that destroys it and the kingdom that's forever. Now it's beast that correspond with that statue, but the kingdom that rules forever. And it sets up what comes next. If you're taking notes, the one simple message. Prepare for battle by knowing God most high rules above and keeps his people. Prepare for battle by knowing God Most High rules above and keeps his people. 
Three points, if we get through that, my voice gets us through that. The nation's rage, that's verses 1 to 8. The nation's rage. God most high rules, 9 to 18. And then clarifying expectations, 19 to 28. Let's first look at the nation's rage. We, we see here something unique, a, a, a significant development. Uh, Daniel has been given the gift of interpreting dreams. He's, he's gone. He's been the, the key figure of interpreting different dreams of, of Nebuchadnezzar, of Belshazzar. There's a significant difference here in that it's Daniel who has a dream. The, the, this is for Daniel and the people of Judah. The, the other dreams were for Daniel and the people of Judah as well, but they were primarily focused on King Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar. God was revealing himself uniquely to the nations. Th- this is the dream of Daniel. And, and we're going back in time uh, from chapter 6. We're going to the first year of Belshazzar. So this is around 533 B.C. It, it stands out because this is for Daniel, God's promised people, and well, for us. We, we, we want to see here that uh, there's a, a, a pattern in that what God has been showing all along is that he is God Most High who rules. For the very opening of Daniel, God is the one who gave the king of Judah into the hands of Babylon. God is the one who gave the golden things and the, the precious things of the temple over to, to Babylon. God is the one who has set up his own people in the very court of Babylon. God is in absolute control. As we see this, I want you to, to notice something I, I keep standing out is Daniel seems to use sight words as, as ways of drawing your attention. And, and this section seems to be organized with the word Behold. We, we, we see it over and over again as new beasts are being presented. So if you, you take notes in your Bible or if you have one of the, 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 the booklets we, we were uh, promoting to take notes, behold, 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 that, that, that's kind of carrying along the story. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. This is the dream. I saw my vision by night, and behold, this is the longest section. He sets up where they all came from, and he sets up the first beast here. The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Well, I want to pause there and make it clear the, the source of these beasts are important, and while you might be a fisherman and think the sea is a great place, that is not how Scripture presents the sea. Revelation 21 says there, in the new heavens and new earth, there is no sea. Well, that's because the sea represents chaos, disorder, destruction. The, the, the four winds that are stirring up, they're stirring up the great sea, and the, the beasts come, the, come from the sea. The, the, the whole idea here is that the source of what's going to happen is chaos, destruction, overturning God's good order. If we look back here, it's a clear theme through Scripture in that the, the sea represents danger. And that's why that's emphasized in verses 2 and 3. And then notice there's a first beast. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. 
Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Okay, so that, this beast goes through some kind of transformation, and what well, we do know, this beast is corresponding to Babylon and what the statue revealed, and this transformation might be referring back to Daniel 4 with Nebuchadnezzar going through quite a transformation of receiving a, uh, well, the mind of man he was supposed to have all along. If we consider these images, we, we need to recognize there's, there's chaos disorder in it. it it's going to get worse and worse. Notice verse 5. Behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs and its mouth between its teeth. And it was told to rise, devour much flesh. Verse 6. And after this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on his back, and the beast had four heads, and the minion was given to it. And after this, in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Notice this one is described in more detail. The fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong, and had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all other beasts, and before it, it had ten horns. And notice here we get three beholds with this beast. There's some Hebrew patterns here. There's, there, there's a, a double emphasis. There's a, there's a significant emphasis of, of behold, behold, behold with this beast. It now has the, the horns emphasized, and not just the horns, but the, the one particular horn. But there's also the Hebrew pattern of three plus one. That, that one is always the most significant, either the, the most blessed or the most terrifying. This beast can't even be described like something. It's not like a bear. It's not like a lion. It's not like a... Uh, leopard, uh, it's just terrifying and dreadful. It's exceedingly strong. And, and these horns, behold, there came up from among, uh, all these horns a little one. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Well, all these details are interesting. It, 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 this is apocalyptic literature. It, it allows for all kinds of interpretations, sometimes a little too loose. I've heard such things that, you know, the bear is the USSR or maybe a tank. The leopard with four wings, a Black Hawk helicopter. Pretty sure that's not what's happening here. God's word is his own interpreter. As we look at this and how it's interpreted in itself or how we look back to chapter 2 and how that's interpreted, there seems to be a clear correspondence of the lion represents the golden head of the statue and represents the nation of Babylon, that he's riding within. So he's riding within that first beast. The second, the bear, that's the, the, the silver shoulders. That's Persia, the Medes, what comes afterwards. Darius, we read earlier, Cyrus. The leopard, the bronze waist, that's, that's Greece. And then the fourth beast, the iron and clay, well, that seems to be Rome. We, we, we see the terror and dread it's just, just, just full of fright. This is a, a picture of just chaos and beast arising, and they're devouring, they're incredibly strong, they're terrifying. But the backdrop of all this is no one sits on a throne unless God puts them there. God most high rules. 
as, as Psalm 2 has already taught us, that the nations are raging. This world is a glorious ruin. We live in a fallen world because of our sin, because our disobedience to God. We now live in a fallen world. Real evil exists. And there are real evil nations that exist. And there are systems of chaos. Satan is the ruler of this world, and we cannot be ignorant of this. There are real dangers, and while I believe these bees correspond to real historical nations before Christ, they're also a type of the, well, Antichrist that continue. This just isn't something in the past. It's setting up a type that is, is fulfilled and, and continues. The evil one, he still prowls around like a lion seeking to devour. We're called to stand firm. Satan is still after... Us, humans, seeking to attack God by attacking those he made in his image, attacking his church, seeking to destroy life, devaluing that which is sacred, human life, marriage. Let me be clear, many have grown afraid of where government officials are going, what's happening in the world with uh, the, the nations and the wars and the rumors of wars and, and, and the plotting there, there, there's ways in which we all have to think, how are we preparing for what we do not know is coming? The most significant way to prepare is knowing our God rules. Whatever we're doing, that is the most significant lesson. As we look at these powers, they're greater than us. There's no human firepower that allows us to do anything against these kinds of powers. But God most high rules. That's our second point. He builds up this incredible vision of, 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 of terror. Behold and behold, and the, the each one worse than the other. And then just an amazing abrupt turn, verse 9. As I looked, he, he, he tells us he sees something different. And really, there's a, there's a complete shift if we were trying to make a, a movie of this, the camera would just be kind of tracing a, a timeline of beast after beast after beast after beast. And then at, at this point, the camera would just go crazy with a swirl because we're, we're not on this timeline anymore. No, we're looking up to heaven. It's a whole different kind of scene. It's, it's not some kind of historical trajectory. We're now looking up above all these beasts. Thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head pure like wool his throne was fiery flames his wheels were burning fire a stream of fire had issued and came out before him a thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. We see here a new character, a, a new reference. The Ancient of Days. The, the, the one who is above and beyond all time. The one who is eternal. In contrast to the beasts that have a time stamp. Right? The beasts are one after another. They have a temporary time stamp, each one. But, but here the Ancient of Days, he's, he's, he's eternal. There's, there's something significant about his name. There's thrones, there's, there's, there's order 
introduced over against the, the wild sea. But the most amazing thing that takes place is the Ancient of Days took his seat. He, he sits in his proper place of absolute rule and power. That's supposed to be somewhat startling in the same way Psalm 2-4 is startling. And when the nations are raging, God most high in heaven, he sits. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I like watching sports. And when I am watching a game and it gets intense, I, I get out of my chair. I, I, I stand up because I want to I focus. I want to see what's going on. When there's a, a great threat, I'm not sitting down. I'm, I'm postured to be ready. Notice that God sees these beasts. The, the, the God who rules over these beasts, the sitting shows his absolute power and, and, and justice and declaration. It's not that these beasts aren't serious. They're attacking his image bearers. They're bringing disorder on his good earth. But they're just not a threat. His appearance is glorious. His clothing was white as snow, his hair with the head like pure wool. That's a, a similar declaration of what's mentioned of Jesus in Revelation 1, that, that glory of God presented. His glory and holiness is, is revealed here. The Ancient of Days is, is God most high. And then notice here the throne was fiery flames, its wheels burning fire. There's just a, a picture of, of God's judgment, God's action. And, and fire flows out. There's a great multitude. He's being worshipped. He's being surrounded by those who who know who he is and are seeking to to worship him. And there's a a judgment. There's a court. The the big point I believe we're supposed to take away with this abrupt change and this incredible vision, those four beasts are terrifying. But the God who sits on the throne is awesome. there's, There's a wonderful contrast. We have to understand there's, there's a, a range of what fear means, but there's, there's a terror, there's a dread of the kind of destruction these four beasts will bring in their due order. And then there is the one awesome eternal God who sits and his judgment will be perfect. The God most high, the, we turn back and we, we have a... a, a, a a little bit of a different vision. We, we see uh, one of the, that, that little horn show back up, verse 11. I looked then because the sound of the great words the horn was speaking. We don't know what he's saying, but as he sees Almighty God, the ancient day sitting, he, he hears what he just says is a noise. So he looks, and as I looked, that beast was killed, the fourth beast. And his body destroyed and given over to be burned with the fire. That is the fire that's, that's, that's all around the throne and the wheel burning of the throne and the, the, the river of fire going out from the throne. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, we, we, we've, we've seen the setup. There's these four beasts. The last beast is the worst, the most terrifying, and then there's a focusing on the horn, and the horn here makes a sound in light of this great Ancient of Days sitting on the throne. And then, just like that, 
He's destroyed. Trying to picture this is, is complicated. It, it, it could be as if uh, we, someone decided to make a, a grand series of movies of villains. You know, just one after another, all these origin stories of how great and powerful all these villains are. And then there's one great story where they all come together and they're going to fight good. And then they have all the anticipation of all these incredible villains and how powerful they are and how scary they are. There's the last movie. And it takes all of 30 seconds, more like a commercial. And you just see the one sitting on the throne. And the fire goes out, and they all just become ash. There's no contest. There's no fight. There's, there's no major fight scene here. It's just absolute power destroying evil. There, there, there's no grand, there's, there's a grand buildup of how terrifying they are, but there's, there's no significant threat to the one who sits on the throne. Or this could be, this is like a, a major league pitcher playing dodgeball with four-year-olds. There's no contest, just destruction. The, 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 the beasts have no fight when it comes to God Almighty. But the beasts, as they represent the powers of evil, the powers of Satan, well, they can do great damage to us. There is a danger for us, but there is no threat to God most high. That's why we look up to him in faith for protection, for, for provision. He never gets off his throne. He, he stays seated. He stays reigning. He, he rules. The good news for us, as we watch and listen to the news, all the stories of just gross sin and, and fears and dangers, always remember, God most high rules. He's seated on his throne in absolute power. Verse 8 to 9, there's an abrupt dramatic change. It goes to poetry. 11 to 12, there, there's a, a declaration. It's just, this is destruction. The ancient of days has destroyed. Now we have another poetic vision, another great Picture a glimpse of God's power and glory. That's on the night vision. Notice he brings us back to behold. Behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now we need to do a full stop here because this is a significant declaration. I, I do believe we should see this behold in line with other beholds. I believe here we see some descriptions of who this figure is, who, who this is that, that should make us pause and wonder with, with significant awe. With the clouds of heaven, that, that in every other place in Scripture is associated with Yahweh. The, the, the glory cloud that, that delivered Israel out of Egypt and took them to the wilderness, there's, there's a way in which Yahweh has associated himself with this cloud. Now, the confusing part might be there's one who is like a son of man. I, I believe here we, we can see there's a, a pattern of creation because the, the four beasts, they're like created animals. Well, this one is like the son of man. And if we follow Genesis 1 and 2, well, man has authority over all the beasts. The son of man isn't this man is, this figure is, 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 is a human. It, it has more to do with he has absolute dominion and authority. 
He has come like the one who has the rule God gave to man. He comes with all authority over all these beasts. And he has this description of being with a cloud or on the cloud of heaven, which is always associated with Yahweh. There's a, there's a greater implied. He is greater than the beast. Now, we need to go to that next verse because it, it gets quite a bit thicker. And he, that is the one like a son of man, he who is with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. The Ancient of Days is clearly God. He has glory, he has power, he has justice, he has rule. This one, like the Son of Man, he's given one of the most important descriptions being associated with, uh, with the clouds of glory. He himself is going to have all the dominion and everlasting dominion of verse 14. There's a wonderful tension here because the, the one like the Son of Man of the clouds, he's described like Yahweh, and he's coming and being presented before the Ancient of Days, who is also Yahweh. God is presented before God, and there's only one God. We're, we're going to hold that tension and, 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 and pray that that tension helps build up some, some awe and wonder. The Son of Man becomes before the Ancient of Days and receives what rightfully belongs to God. That is, verse 14, is his dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language should serve him. And that that word serve has been associated with worship throughout Daniel. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and shall not pass away. So, so this one like the Son of Man, he, he, he's presented with the clouds of heaven like Yahweh. He receives what only God receives, being served with an everlasting dominion and rule. This, this, this presentation of verse 13, it, it should cause a monotheist who confesses Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Some, some significant consternation. God is referred to in, as two in relationship, and yet there's only one God. As we consider what's happening here, the two characters, the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, this is one of the most clear revelations that God is perfectly Father and perfectly Son. We, we, we confess one God in three persons. We confess the, the one God has a triune nature as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here's a, a glimpse in the Old Testament, just like Psalm 110, like 2 Samuel 7, like, like others. A, a small glimpse into the very nature of God and the character of God that, that, that's then fully revealed in the New Testament. Now, you, you, you might be wrestling with it. All right, one God and two, there's no math equation for that. This is why we practice faith-seeking understanding. We, we believe what God has revealed to us and pray that he would give us all the understanding we need. We, we, we pray that God would, would reveal us, would reveal to us all of who he is. And, and, and if you're looking at, all right, how does this make sense? Later, you, you, can, you can turn with others to John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1 1, 1 opens, in the beginning was the Word. Now, that's a reference to creator language. The Word was with God. That, that Word is in reference to a relationship with God. There's some kind of relationship as, as if the Ancient of Days being presented before the, um, the, the, 
the, the one that son of man being represented in the ancient of days, there's a relationship. And then it says the word was God. They're equally and fully true one God. Here in Daniel, I, I don't believe he's walking away presenting, you know, homoousios, one nature, three persons. I believe he's getting a glimpse of the greatness of God at this time. I believe he's getting a greatness of, of God is, is, is greater than he has understood before. Most significantly for us, the issue of days is clearly God. Who is this one like the Son of Man? The Son of Man is one of Jesus' most significant and repeated self-references. As, as Brian read earlier, he, he clearly makes the declaration he is the one spoken of here in Daniel 7. And, and the high priest understood that what he was saying was blasphemy because of the cloud image and the, the, the truth of what's taking place. Jesus began his ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. And then another clear reference in Mark 2. He forgives the sins of the paralytic. And people start murmuring, who, who can forgive sins but God? And so he says, so that you know that the Son of Man himself has authority to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, stand up and walk. The fullness of God is being revealed. One God. We know more proper in their names, Father, Son, but the, the Ancient of Days, the one that the Son of Man we, 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 we see more clearly who this is in the New Testament. Daniel 7, 13 to 14 is a heavenly view of God and his rule as one true God. The event is significant. And I believe as we wrestle I, a lot of these things, people have already asked me, when does this happen? When, 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 when are these taking place? I believe if we look at verse 13, we, we have to see this as the ascension of Jesus Christ. Right? We're, we're jumping ahead to the ascension because that second person of the Trinity, he came to be like us in every way. That's the incarnation. So that he could die for us on the cross for our sin. So he could rise again in victory. And, and, and in Acts 1 at 9, it, it says he, he ascended up into the clouds. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And that's where the Father, he returns to his glory and he, he's given that eternal kingdom. He now reigns as the one who has accomplished the mission of salvation. This corresponds also to Philippians 2. For having died, even death on the cross, he rose again and he's been given the name above all names. He now reigns forever. This is good news for us. Because those beasts might have all been those kingdoms before Christ, and Christ may have come and finished his mission, but, but now we can look and see he, he is the one who rules today with absolute authority. He, he's the one who rules today. He's the true and final perfect ruler who will conquer evil. The, the, the gospel connection in Daniel 7 is what we call Christ the victor. And the reason that's such good news is that we have enemies that are greater than us that will defeat us without his help. Christ has come to defeat our enemies that are and would have destroyed us without his help. He conquered sin by dying on the cross so that we can now put it to death. 
He conquered Satan and all the accusations of real sins we've committed and his, his power of death that he possesses. He conquered death. It's no longer a fear we have because we believe we will live with Christ forever. Jesus claims to be the Son of Man. And as we think of the Gospels, he proved he was by being raised from the dead. We, we are people committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is something we herald. That, that, that word takes place actually from a military idea, a military event where uh, there's, there's a great battle and, and the one who's going to come and proclaim the gospel is going to the city of the victor and declaring, we won. Christ being risen from the dead proves he is the son of man who has authority to forgive sins. Proves he is God the Son, God Most High, who rules and will return again. If you're not a believer this morning, this is the most pressing matter. There are many kings, there are many authorities, there are many powers that are going to seek your allegiance. There's only one who has true power to save you and has the promise that if you believe in him, he will save you. Jesus is a holy God worthy of your faith. Without him, there is no hope. Without him, there is no life. Without him, there is no forgiveness. He is the one who has all authority, and he has used that authority to save sinners who believe in him. This is important for us, church. Because if we confess that Jesus is the son of man he claimed to be, who has all authority, he has now sent us out with that same authority. As he develops, as Matthew develops his theme from Matthew 10 to 16 to 24 and then 28. When Jesus claims, I have all authority, he's claiming to be this figure, the son of man. And he declares, I'll be with you. At some level, that's comfort for whenever you're underneath the power of a beast, the power of oppression, the power of, 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 of martyrdom, of persecution. At another level, it's, it's, it's confidence that we can go and be on the mission faithfully that he sent us on. You see, church, we're, we're supposed to be the church militant, and that can be confusing. That doesn't mean we have firepower. We don't need firepower. We have the power of God to save sinners, which is the, G- power, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the church at rest is when Christ comes back. The church at rest is when Christ comes back. The church militant is the one who's seeking to make him known, who alone can save sinners. He who has all authority has sent us out with that authority. Look at verse 15. As for me, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Uh, Daniel's given us this picture of beast after beast after terrifying, dreadful beast. The, the angel of days ruling, sitting in absolute power and judgment, the, the, the death of the little horn, the, the ancient of days uh, being presented with the, before the, the, the Son of Man. 
He's anxious. That stands out for a few reasons. One, Daniel's been a pretty solid dude so far. I'm not eating your, your meat. Give me vegetables. I'm not going to bow before your, 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 your idols. I'm not, I'm not going to hear the, the king's going to kill everybody. I'm going to go tell him his dream. Here we see a different side of Daniel. And I, I don't know if we should immediately think this is kind of, you know, over against Paul saying don't be anxious or anything. I'm, I'm, I think what he just saw in his vision probably should create some consternation. Anxiety is probably the right response. This is amazing, not only in the awe of God, but the terror that's still to come. We see him with, with anxiety uh, and, and, and anxiety. There, there's a fear of the destruction and an awe of God. Notice then in verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Now, that also should stand out because so far, somebody else has had a dream, and Daniel has been the great interpreter. He has the great power of interpretation. But here now, he doesn't. Who he's talking to, maybe it's Gabriel, because that's who it is a little later. Maybe it's another angel. We don't, we don't know, but Daniel himself needs an interpretation, and so he gets one. And, and notice these two points. I believe these are, these are two that are supposed to really land for us. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. All right, but they were beasts that come out of the sea? That seems different. I think we've got, we got to see some overlap here, though. These demonic beasts of chaos and disorder, they're, they're truly represented in actual kings of this earth, human beings. Not, not, not every king is somehow possessed by a demon, but there's a way in which these beasts are representative of that great war of Satan against God. There is always going to be enmity until Christ comes back on this earth between Satan and God and his people. The, the second part, there's always going to be strife. These, these are real kings. are going to be real problems. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. He cannot shy away in verse 17 what, what real destruction is going to come from these kings that, 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 that are these beasts. Of, of dread and terror. But, but what a sweet promise. The interpretation he gives us is that they're real kings. And the interpretation is the saints, the, the holy people of God. The, those who God declared to be his holy nation on Mount Sinai. Those whom he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. You are holy, set apart for me, by me. God most high. They will receive the kingdom. That is, and listen to the emphasis, forever, forever, and ever. God is in absolute control. The, the interpretation is for us to know these temporary threats cannot take you out of God's hand. These temporary threats are no threat to God who reigns on high. 
Consider this. There's been numerous persecutions. There's numerous fears. The beauty of what God tells his people is that no one will take you out of my hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because he has committed himself to us. Verses 19 and 28, our last point, a closer look. One to 18 seems good. If, 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 if I want a closer look, I really want to know what's going on in 13 and 14 more, Daniel, but, but you want to look at the fourth beast? We're looking at the fourth beast. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. There's, there's something exceedingly terrifying. That, that anxiety even ends with this. The end of the matter is I am alarmed. Teeth of iron, claws of bronze, devoured and broken pieces and stamped was left with his feet and about ten horns that were on his head. Another horn that came up before her, which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed great greater than his companions. We, we see there's an escalation of power. Verse 21. Important as we think about what 17 really meant. The horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. That doesn't mean there's an ultimate victory, but it does mean there are saints who have died at the hands of beasts. Not outside of God's power, not outside of God's rule. God has preserved for them a place in his kingdom forever, but there, there is no promise of just a happy, easy life. The, the, the terror and the dread is that the horn has made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And then in 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Uh, again, we see there 16 and our 17 and 18 really played out. There's a, there's a prevailing of, of pain and difficulty, and, and then there's a great judgment. 23. In 24, we, we, we see here there's a long sequence of these earthly kings. The nations are raging. I want to jump to verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given to his hand for a time and time and half a time. I, I, I do think, as we look back to verse 11, what was the sound that, that caught Daniel's attention? I, I assume it must be here we're double-clicking. There's a, this, the word spoken against the Most High. Blasphemy. As 25, I believe, is informing verse 11, what, we can actually look even further and see Revelation 12 and 13 further explain what's happening in verse 25. Great blasphemy and great judgment from God. But notice how he ends, and it's similar to how he ends verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. 
His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That, that, that is the end of this further revelation and interpretation. Notice how important that is. It's, it's, he's doubling down. The, the, the interpreter is doubling down in that thesis. There's great enmity, and there's great power of God to keep us. Verse 26 and 27, that is what we need at all times and all people to understand. God is in absolute control no matter what is terrifying. No matter what threat is presented, there is a God. There is one true God who rules from on high, the most high God. And his kingdom will be forever. There there may be a time where the beasts are prevailing over the saints, but God most high will bring a judgment and he will bring them into his kingdom. A few things just to think about as we uh, consider this. A theology of history. History is linear. It's not circular. We don't believe in reincarnation, karma, things of that nature. There's repeated patterns. But, but history is linear. There's a beginning and there's an end. There's a beginning when God spoke it into existence, and there's an end when Christ comes back, and this kingdom is forever. There, there are patterns, but this, this linear history, it, it's not aimless. There's a God who is ordering all things to his end. There's a purpose to all that takes place because God Most High is ruling over all things that happen in this time. Enmity will always be present until the end, so we should be on guard. And God is always reigning and will bring enmity to an end, so we must always hope. This message is important for God's people. We're not here to make the earth our playground. We're supposed to recognize it's a battlefield. This earth is not designed to be your playground. This earth is designed to be a battlefield. Now that Satan is, ru- is ruling over the world, the, the nations are raging, we've given up our, 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 our duty and power uh, of, of, of uh, being God's image bearers, uh, bringing about his, his good rule. Now it's a battlefield. Are, 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 we, are we seeking to arm ourselves with the power of God? Knowing him who rules. That really is the the main point. Do Do we know God rules no matter how terrifying things are? Are we seeking to learn how to pray to him and ask for wisdom in the midst of the terror? Are we preparing ourselves? If we're, the, the more afraid of what's happening in the world you are, the, the more you should be learning how to pray to know God in the midst of it. There's all kinds of dangers. We can look back. This would have been good for all God's people at all times. The, the, the Jewish people who were forced to adopt customs when occupied by foreign governments. When Alexander the Great conquered Judah. When Herod the Great was wicked and brutally murdered, even infants. When Nero made Christians torches. Important for us today when Christians were thrown into the Holocaust camps or the Gulag. When, when, when believers were persecuted by the Anglican Church under Bloody Mary. When Athanasius was exiled five times after Constantine's so-called conversion. For us, believers, afraid of what's going on, not just outside of our boundaries, but within. God 
Most High rules. Christ has received the kingdom, and it is his kingdom forever, and we will be kept in that kingdom forever. That does not mean we're somehow passive and just worrying. No, there's a a boldness and a, a confidence, but it must begin with knowing God, Most High, rules. There's one absolute forever authority. And the good news is he who has all authority has used all that authority to save you to be his people. We will not know how to fight the fight until we have the assurance God is able to do all that he said he would do. And he's done it. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's received the kingdom. He saved us to be his people so that we can endure and we can even make advances as we proclaim the gospel of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have shown us glimpses of your goodness as you walked with your people Israel in the midst of their rebellion. We thank you for the way we've seen such great uh, clarity of who you are in Christ coming to be with us and, and proclaiming himself to be the Son of Man, truly the Son of God who has all authority. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that allows us to see how these truths all connect and relate and point us to you who rules, who has all authority, who who is with us with all authority to protect us, to comfort us, to empower us, and to give us courage. Lord, may we not be afraid of those things that are truly terrifying. May we know how to have a proper awe of you the God of all power and justice and judgment. Help us, Lord, to know you so that we might make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.